Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm genuinely delighted to welcome Perry Timms, who's a bit of a personality in HR circles, prevalent on social media and at conferences, and always seemingly jetting off around the world and speaking and consulting in his own inimitable way. I know Perry could talk eloquently about most topics in HR, but he specifically wanted to explore L&D in the context of remote workers. So we did, and it was a fascinating chat. Let's get into it. Perry, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you, David. Great to be here. At risk of doing you a disservice, you're an author, you're an international speaker, a consultant, advisor, and one of HR's most influential people, according to HR Magazine. I'd go so far as to say you're genuinely renowned in the HR profession. How do you describe yourself, Perry? Oh, thank you. That's uh, that's a nice way to lead in, isn't it? So I describe myself as an enthusiast. Um, I like to think that I've got grounding in the reality of the world, but also an incredibly dreamy perspective on mm. how things could be, right? So, so I guess enthusiasm and dreamer would be my kind of lead-ins. Um, whilst those things are really nice, I mean, I think, you know, they come at a price, they come at a... I guess, a sort of a sacrifice. And they also give me a sense of accomplishment. So I'm proud of them. I don't like to kind of use them in a weaponry sense. Mm. Um, but they do talk to the fact that I just like to spread the word. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say as well as the enthusiasm and the dreamy, I'd, I'd consider you optimistic about the future mm. of not only HR, but of business, but that we have to take some responsibility in shaping the future of work ourselves and not just watch it unfold. I, I think that's absolutely right. So I'm glad you say that because I think that's what I'd like to leave people with as an impression when I talk to them, both mm. on a speaking capacity, coaching or whatever, is that actually nothing's predetermined in the mm. future of work. Lots of people will say, yeah, robots taking jobs and all that inevitability. And I kind of think, well, who says? And yeah. so I think it is up to us to, uh, using a Barack Obama phrase, grab the arc of the future and bend it towards us. And I think we have more design capability than we give ourselves credit for. We don't think enough about it and we almost are at the behest of others' yeah. visions and so on. So, yeah, I like to think that we've got this um, potential and the optimism in me says that if people really, really want to come together and can create enough energy and interest in it, then we can shape the future a lot more than we probably think we can. Uh, but I think the proof is in how we apply ourselves. Mm. And, you know, before this, this conversation goes too far in that direction, I think it's important to state as well, certainly from my perspective, that you're not a theorist here. You've been a head of HR, you've done the in-house L&D roles, so you know what it's really about. Not just an observer from the side, like a football fan on the sidelines barking instructions and getting frustrated when those on the pitch aren't perfectly performing all the time. You know, you, you, you've got your hands dirty, so everything that you're talking about, although as optimistic and as, as forward-thinking as it might be, you're talking about stuff that can and should work. Yeah, I think uh, so. 21 years I spent in the civil service and, and the latter part of that was in L&D. And then I spent six in the not-for-profit sector. Um, so, yeah, so I think I've been in the practitioner space. And actually, even as a consultant, I find myself getting so allied to clients' needs and aspirations. I really feel it and I want to become part of what they're about. So I, I, I rarely sort of steam in and then just drop out. I kind of absorb it and I want mm. to be part of it. So So I feel their pain, I celebrate their gain, and I really want to leave them with a sense that they're they're better than they were when than before I started. Um, so I do still see things from that operational perspective, I suppose you'd say. And, and you know, consultants get a bit of a reputation for, for not having that um, level of insight. But, but I think I'm there for a reason. I'm there to 
bend their thinking a bit and mm. twist their, uh, I guess, approaches. So, yeah, I, I like to think I add some catalytic sort of uh, element to it now that I'm external. Um, but I do really feel the sense of loyalty. And I'm still friends with a lot of clients that I don't even work with anymore because mm. I still want to know how they're doing. Yeah. And, and you know, the, we, we were talking about... Um, the future of work and I think that it doesn't take long looking back say 10-15 years to realise that the place we're in now is largely unrecognisable we think that uh, we look to the future and we you know we, we might think of um, uh, fully digital experiences rather than uh, technology supporting our physical experience and, and the like and it's hard to imagine that that might be further than five to ten years away but when we look the other direction 10 to 15 years ago things such as remote working may have been oh, i don't know a lot a lot more simply imagined than they are now and i think that, that you know that's a topic that i think that, that yeah. you're hugely interested in yeah remote working so i come at it from a perspective that since about 1998 i've had a, a non-fixed abode in a, in a working sense although in those six years i spent in not-for-profit i had an office i was rarely there partly because i wanted to be in where my internal clients were so we had offices in glasgow belfast cardiff London and and in regions and I wanted to experience what their world was in order to help them with the learning development and the or organization design they needed so I very much felt remote so I quite literally lived out of a briefcase mm. uh, uh, or laptop bag as they probably are now and so um yeah so I've seen that remote shift quite considerably um and I guess I've had a lot of empathy with those people who are sort of four or five people in a remote outpost mm. who have themselves to look after but are so detached from the mothership that they kind of get forgotten about. And and so I guess I've even overcompensated for that yeah. by wanting to be even more remote. And you're right, 10 or 15 years ago, that was a tricky proposition. Uh, you know, Skype was in its infancy and so on and so forth. So it was all reliant on email and dial-ups. Now we've got ubiquitous connections. So only this morning I, I uh, zoomed out to Slovenia, had a chat about some work there. That would have been really difficult 10 years ago. Now yeah. it's just like a phone call. So... I think we are in a position where technology has enabled so much, but our habits haven't kept up. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I think that uh, there, there are a couple of ways of looking at remote working. Certainly, if you are in the mothership, if you are group L&D, for example, or group HR, then you could, uh, you could see um, remote workers. Those, you know, I think we all remote work to, you know, once a week, once a month, mm. whatever the organisation suggests, but you've got people who are more permanently remote yeah. working. And that, going back to, to my point, you could look at those um, more harshly and say, you know, there's a lifestyle choice and there are um, pros and cons to that. And some of the cons might be that you don't uh, benefit from the experiences and the prospects of people who are more permanently housed at, uh, at head office or, or within a, a location. Mm. But then you you can look at the other side of that and some of the drivers that mean that we are a lot of us are working remote now, mm. such as um, global businesses mm. uh, that need a global representation of mm. their workforce and a global global talent pool. Mm. And when you look at it from that side, you realise mm. that that rather than the lifestyle choice, this is about getting the the right people mm. that you need in order to drive the business forward. Mm. So when you're considering learning and development, it's not so black and white. No. It isn't a case of, well, you work from home, so you've kind of opted out of stuff. Yeah. It's a different type of consideration. Wouldn't you agree? It is, totally. So I think you're right about the sun never setting on agendas and all that kind of mm. stuff. So I've known people who've had to set an alarm to get up at like uh, you know 2 a.m. because that's when they can connect to their stateside colleagues or their PAC Asia colleagues. 
So I think there is something about that choice hasn't necessarily been completely orchestrated by them. They've ad- they've had to adapt to, I guess, a company that has a global footprint and enabling them to do that. I think back to remote work when I first joined the workforce in the in the eighties, and the remote workers were people like sales representatives. Mm. Well, where I was in the civil service, it was court bailiffs who were out and about and recovering money and all that kind of stuff. And so anything to do with um, engaging communications or learning and development was almost non-existent because they were just not there. Yeah. So you kind of thinking uh, about those people uh, and, and they were totally forgotten about. So training courses, if bailiffs managed to get off their um, sort of uh, agenda for the day to come to a training course, you could almost see their irritation were being stuck in one place. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think people adapt to their rhythm and what that means is that they are flexible and fluid and and they recognise that that things are different. But the machinery that supports perhaps their professional development or their inclusion is still about people who come to a place who are pretty fixed. Mm. And like you say, the kind of corporate offer. And so I guess I, I suspected that what would happen is that it would adapt as we got more into remote and so on. Uh, and certainly in the late 90s when I started my remote stuff, um, uh, you know, I was then fully aware that I was stepping into a new management role and I had a new team and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was fully aware that I was not going to be present all the time. Geez, did I feel like isolated, lonely and excluded because I wasn't in that one place where the majority of people were. And I think when I look at advice from companies like Buffer who have a really strong remote presence, as in they don't actually have a fixed location, they would advise companies to either go all in remote mm. or all central and all have a base. Because, you know, they said when you're trying to run the two tracks, that's when it gets difficult. But as you've just pointed out, what we find is that there is the mothership and satellites. Yeah. And it is really difficult to connect all those things and to create that inclusion and that sense of belonging. So I find people that are remote are by nature of the system isolated and have to almost work double hard yeah. to be noticed and to be included. And I wonder why that's happened so um, prominently in an era where we're used to remoteness. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. There, there are complexities there, and an acceptance from the wider organisation of the value of of having the right people wherever they are. But there are also, uh, dare I say, uh, intrinsically, there are challenges from human to human, so, you know, one of the biggest ones being trust. Mm. If I can't see you, Perry, mm. how do I know that you're working? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this whole thing about remote uh, kind of came to me when I spotted one tweet in a, in a feed that was some research that was done into why more companies haven't adopted more remote working. And, and, and I could hear in my um, sort of recollective memory some people saying, I can't believe it's 2019 and we're still talking about companies who haven't got flexible working. And they weren't even talking about remote. They were just talking about flexible, as you described, the occasional day from home and stuff. And I've got clients who have said, look, you know, we really want to get more flexible working. And I'm like, really? Jeez, where have you been for the last yeah. 30 years? But it's not just them. There's lots of people who have not developed the maturity and the trust that you describe in order to say to people, it doesn't matter where you are. Um, uh, if you can connect and do your work, you can do it wherever you want to. And I think um, uh, the guy who wrote the book uh, uh, a, a Year Without Pants or something like that, I can't remember what it was now, Scott Birkin, anyway, he wrote this book and said, literally, when I worked for Automatic, which was the company he worked for, he said, if I wanted to play golf in the morning, I could do that as long as I did my work in the afternoon and didn't jeopardise anybody else's outputs. And I thought to myself, what a refreshing approach that is to allow somebody to go, you know what, I'm better when this is the circumstance behind it. 
So I was talking yesterday to some people about education and, and they were kind of shaking their heads a little bit because th- these were lawyers with children who were keen to see changes in their working environment. And they were talking then about their children's experiences. And this, this lawyer said to me, she's got one child who absolutely is on it from the moment they get up, 5 a.m., bang. The other one who comes alive around about 7 p.m. Mm. And they're both going through the same school system, expected to deliver the same attention and academic achievement in nine to three. And she's saying, but I know my youngest doesn't work like that. So Mm. she's really concerned that, you know, we've got this vanilla version uh, that actually that her kids are probably not built that way. And she's recognising that and she's seeing it in the workplace too. So that got me thinking even more about, well, it's gone on like this for a long, long time. And we haven't designed, I won't call it like, you know, a complete alternative, but more options. Mm. And I see that in remote working. I see that the, the, the story that you told about, you know, you're opting out of this. So that's your choice. Sorry. Here's the norm. Here's the mass. You're on the fringe. Tough. I'm thinking, whoa, what are we losing yeah. by not including those people? And what are we losing by not creating that sense of belonging, connection and a learning, I guess you'd say, kind of uh, capability uh, to ensure that they are optimized, actualized and they're really into what they're doing? We we don't know mm. is, the, is i guess the assertion i've got so i'm a bit disappointed that the maturity of how we look at remote working it feels like 30 years behind the availability mm. of remote working so i can only assume that the reason it hasn't taken off and it isn't as strong a proposition in the workplace isn't because the the capability in an equipment sense isn't there or re-engineering work or it's our attitudes and our mindset to it if that's the case i'm thinking that's easy choices we can mm. make to change that um, so I thought that's why I'd flag this this topic up about that maturity. I'm thinking, well, you know, for my 20 years as a remote worker, how have I kept a hold of my learning development stuff? Mm. Uh, and, and thinking about it quite literally on the final steps towards uh, this venue here today, I was sort of flashing back to moments where I'm sort of thinking, so am I more or less capable because I haven't had the accessibility to learning that perhaps somebody in a corporate center... I actually think almost the opposite. Yeah. I've 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 gone on, on a bit more of a rampage to learn to compensate for the fact that it's not being given to me or yeah. gifted to me as easily and as readily as if I were coming into one venue having a list that I can pick from and colleagues around me who I can bounce off. I feel like I've had to work harder but I've actually reveled in that challenge. Mm-hmm. But I suspect I'll probably be an exception to that and not everybody will will want to push against that. So I'm a bit worried that um, where people haven't got the same motivation perhaps that I have, again, what are we missing out on? What are we excluding? And I think you bring um, to, with what you just said there, I think you you bring this to the L&D's doorstep. Yeah. Um, because some of this is going to be out of L&D's control because culture a lot of the time is dictated by the the senior figurehead. But as far as equipping people that's of course firmly at the door of L&D. Now let's start with uh, with one of the points you raised and that's about preparing people to be a remote worker yeah. and the other side of the same coin preparing managers to manage yeah. remote working. Now yeah. I've not been remote working for 20 years. I'd say for the last four and a half it's been a it, it's been what I do and like 100% of the time but I still remember in the early days I worked when I had energy and I only but you know so and what I meant there is I wasn't I wasn't um, being lazy and not not doing stuff, but I did found, find myself uh, at the whim almost of 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 my energy, and it took me some time to get the discipline. 
Um, they, there's there's one aspect there. You you kind of learn as you go along. No one's looking over your shoulder. No one knows when you're struggling. No one you know, knows when you're thriving. Um, but over a period of time, if you're dedicated enough and you and you continue to have the opportunity, you find a rhythm, and then it flips around as to when do you stop working. And, you know, then the feedback might be from your family. Could you yeah. put your phone down? Could exactly. you eat breakfast with us? When are you going to switch the phone off in the evening? All of all of yeah. that stuff. Now, that's a big, long yeah, it is. You know, thing to consider. It is. But let's consider that L&D. Yeah. How do we yeah. equip people mm. for this? Mm. So on that Twitter post, uh, well, you know, the, the sort of research and then the Twitter chat that followed up, I, I was aghast at the fact that one of the reasons remote working hasn't been taken up so much by organisations is it was a reason put down to the fact that people haven't been trained in how to do it. Mm. And my initial response quite literally was, you are fitting me. Yeah. Because it is almost <laughs> like, how on earth do we provide a package for people to work just in a different place in a different way? Yeah. I'm thinking, why do people need to learn this? A few responses came back, actually, which challenged it and, and got me thinking in this way, which is partly why I think we raised this subject to talk about today anyway. And, and it was quite literally what you said. It's like people um, are pretty conditioned to the environment of managing others and being part of something in a physical proximity sense, right? Mm. And then you take that away and we shouldn't expect people to just go, oh, okay, um, it's slightly different, so I'll just make some adjustments. They are a bit lost for a while, mm. I think, in the way you described your sort of four years. So I think I came at it from the benefit of I had no choice, I adapted, therefore shouldn't everybody else. And that was perhaps a bit bloody-minded of me to do that. And so I was corrected by a few people on Twitter and thought, yeah, they got some points there. It still didn't feel like what people were trying to, I think, hide behind was an excuse. There was no training for yeah. it, right? And I was like, whoa, that's not what we're after here. <laughs> no. So I think what I conceded was actually this is a dialogic, co-created, mm. inclusive, and perhaps discovery-based approach. And I thought, that's more like learning than training yeah. on how to do this remote thing. So I've come through the other side of that discussion now thinking, yeah, we do not provide enough guidance or scaffold, I think is a term you've used that I quite like, to enable people to say, hang on, this is different. There is some learning that needs to happen here. But what I still resist vehemently is this training thing. It's yeah. like, oh, man. You know, so so you're right. It's just a bit of personal discipline. Now, I love what you picked up on there about energy and understanding your rhythm, right? So one of the things I found as a remote worker is that where I'm trying to do some complex analytic stuff and creative stuff and mine's a bit worn down, mm. then I've learned actually that what that is a good signal for me to do is stop trying to do that and force it and actually go and learn something. Mm. Even if it's random, because what happens there is I get sparks, I get inspiration. You know, I, I'm a big user of Evernote. So mm. if I go on a web trawl and I find some good articles, I'm clipping them in Evernote like crazy because I know I want to come back to them. But I suddenly find myself then thinking, I had no idea where that was going to go. I didn't have any particular topics in mind. I found some useful things and they connected to other things. And I now feel a bit more enriched about a topic. Mm. I then feel like I'm uh, uh, like refreshed and I can go into that tricky thing and smash it to pieces and do mm. it really well because I've had what I describe as a learning interlude and it really sparked me into action. I'm thinking I've learned how to do that. So I guess if there's one thing we can start to recommend for remote workers is when you are hitting the wall on the work side, then that's a point to stop and then think, what can I learn now? Mm. Maybe it's a creative technique to, you know, think laterally. I don't know. Um, but I think those are the sort of things that we probably need to have more 
dialogue about and more awareness of. And and LND can help that because it knows the brain science yeah. and the I guess you'd say the patterns that people adopt in those sort of situations. And so can say, look, hey, learning for you is not going to mean we're going to draw you into an episodic event. Learning to you might be when you are a little bit phased by a piece of work, then jump into this environment. Um, and, and I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning your product loop uh, in this. And, and so if they've got loop, they can go, well, just jump on there and do a little search and see what people are, are chatting about and sharing uh, and see where that leads you. And I think we are in a position where that's not programmed learning. That's almost like learning as a positive distraction, yeah. but has a real use. Um, but people then, I think, need to know, well, what do I do with that? And how does that change the dynamic of, of what I'm picking up? And I think it comes back to another point of L&D, which is, they're not going to be people that will appear on an attendance sheet because they've learned that. Yeah. So therefore, how do we capture the fact that they spent some time learning what they've learned and how they're going to apply it when we do our end of year report to the powers that be uh, about the learning that happens in this organisation? That's a tough gig, I guess, for anybody to put their arms around loads of remote workers, finding these little tiny gaps in their day and then filling it with some good learning stuff. But, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a potential process there to say, well, why don't you do like a little journal at the end of the week and mm. tell us what you learned in those little moments and send it to us and we'll go, hey, look at what people are learning. We can capitalise on this. So I think it's not that we're lazy. We're just a bit oblivious about mm. that, that stuff. Um, and I know you've blogged recently about micro learning and I kind of wryly smile about it because it, it is. It's almost like, you know, you don't do micro driving, do you? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you don't just back it out of the garage and think, oh, well, I've at least done that. It's like that doesn't qualify you to drive on the road. Um, but I think what we're talking about the, here is these interludes. That's yeah. different. This is where people are using space and, 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 and a different creative, I suppose you'd say, stimulus um, in order to capture something. And I wonder whether there's a way that we should say to learners, there's part of your responsibility there to just let your L&D team know what's going on, yeah. how you're picking things up and how you're almost stitching together your own learning curriculum. So, I, I, But I think this stuff needs to be flushed out, talked yeah. about. And, and framed in that way. So that's just a few random ramblings from me. Well, you, you started um, your response there by, by talking about dialogue. And I think that, that con just conversations about this stuff are really important because, I mean, we've, we've run training programs before and despite there being one day, two day, three days worth of, can I say in inverted commas, great content, mm. you ask people what they found most valuable and it is the talking with colleagues, meeting people from, from different parts of the area and learning from each other. Yeah. So let's, so when it comes to, uh, to to this stuff, I'm preparing people not just to work remotely, but as they are assimilating to this new way of working, connect them in the right way, meaningfully in conversations with other people. Bring others in and say, look, this is what I experienced because what you're going to get very quickly is, yeah, I had that as well. And then you've got different perspectives. Mm. You're not putting up a, a four box grid of these are the four stages of remote working and trying to fill people's heads with gumph that that probably isn't useful but but finding ways in which you can assure them because this is this is very different uh, you can share experiences as well as what you'd said there surfacing nuggets mm. uh, as well mm. as people go but then challenging them and saying that what you've heard from us is that it's about energy it's about um the the work that you've got to do and it's about delivering results still we don't know your job so you probably need to explore that yourself. But I want to I want to just touch on on something that you mentioned because uh, there is some you, you mentioned about um, people that you know, they won't be able to attend a program or uh, working remotely. 
doesn't make them so visible. There is there is a problem here of overcompensating with digital presenteeism, which I found um, certainly in my earlier days, you just want to show, hey, look, I am still around, which is kind of counter to the whole thing because it because once you pass through that, you get through to just doing more of the right stuff. Uh, as long as you uh, have worked out what where you apply your time and your attention does still get you the results, you kind of find a new way. It's again, it's it, it's about exploring this for yourself. It is, and you just made me think about um, you know perhaps we can roll through a scenario here about let's say if we're trying to introduce coaching as a leadership mm. skill within our organisation, we would think right. Uh, we've got 47 leaders. So therefore what we've got to do is bring them all into a room, Mm -hmm. show them some coaching, show them some models, observe them doing it and whatever, uh, send them off to do some stuff and then come back and then we'll see how they're doing. Uh, And we assume that has to be done in person because Mm -hmm. we think coaching only happens like we're sat across from each other now. Yeah, I've done some phenomenal coaching and had some phenomenal coaching across things like Skype calls and phone calls and even through digital chat. Now, you know, I don't want to overlabel whether that's a you know a solution we should hijack into the mix here. But from the design of that intervention, if we assume we're going to bring everybody together, then by nature we are then creating a problem with those remote workers mm. who are then going. But I've got to travel, stay overnight. I work remotely for a reason, got caring responsibilities, and we're not even thinking about the alternatives. Whereas we could say, what are we trying to achieve here? People know enough about coaching. Okay, we could deliver that in a different way. People need to experience a conversation. We could showcase that in mm. some way. And then they need to have a conversation with somebody that's observed. Well, hey, you can use digital tools for that and you can probably record it better and play it back on an individual basis. So I think we're missing some real nuances in how we could deliver some of this. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm thinking back to the the very limited amount of time I've spent in classrooms over those 20 years, quite literally, most of the time just delivering it in-house. But since being freelance, then I think I've spent four days in a training environment. Mm. But actually, when I look back on me um, prior to that, I feel like I've got much more in my kit bag. I know more about things because I've picked it up in different ways. So I'm thinking, actually, in the past, the learner me might have been a bit lazy waiting Mm. for the episodes. And now I'm going off and, you know, creating my own um, pathway. So I'm thinking... Bring those two facets together. Bring the availability stuff that L&D can design in and then bring the sort of how do you want to have it delivered and consumed and utilised by you, perhaps to the delegates. So you say, look, you three are all remote uh, and you three are all uh, central. So why don't you pair up Mm. and you work together off screen or whatever it is. And I think we can start making people feel a little bit like, oh, this is including me now from the outset, not a bolt on or... We've all been in that conversation where we're the only one on Skype in a meeting. Oh, my God, you might as well not be there because all the conversation happens. Oh, and what about you on the screen? It's like, oh, man, could I be any more forgotten? (laughs) That's not good. So I think if we design it from the start and we say we don't have to bring people physically together for some of this, then I think we'll start getting people going, now I can participate, Mm. now I can create, and now I can form partnerships. And and in fact, partnerships, I think, is a crucial thing that we potentially could get our corporate L&D people to leverage more. Mm. Knowing, let's say, you've got uh, a 20% mo- mobile and remote worker uh, sort of uh, fraternity and an 80% uh, localised, you can start thinking, well, how can we get people to partner up yeah. so that actually we share learning journeys? Some of the stuff I've had an experience of is where quite literally people have said, well, look, I read a lot of books, you read a lot of books, we read different books, why don't we come together and just share what we've learned in books? I'm like, 
what a great way to not have to read so many books. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So I think some of that inventiveness can come through. And I think what L&D can do is provide like the infrastructure, the mm-hmm. capture mechanism, maybe even some suggestions and validation, and then use that as a way of saying, look, we don't just run events. Here's what else we're doing. And I think a dynamic organization would want to sort of testify to that and kind of wave a few flags and go, we're inclusive from the start. We're dynamic by nature. And, and actually, we're inclusive because of that. Mm. Well, Perry, you do raise another issue um, in that if we can't see remote workers, then how do we know what the needs are? Um, the, I, I wrote a piece recently on data and analytics. And in a reference point, uh, I, had, I pulled out a quote uh, and I thought it was particularly harsh, but I had to look at myself and think, yep, done that. And I've seen it since that instead of using data in order to inform what problems to solve, what we do is we use limited observations, gut instinct and requests from above. And mm. that's how it's designed. Mm. So if you can't see people, exactly. how do you do it? But I mean, that led me on to immediately, well, you have to solve real problems. Mm. You can't just... Mm. If it's about limited observation and gut instinct, I mean, mean, it'd be very easy. You could say gut instincts from what we were talking about before, providing people with something programmatic to prepare them to both work remotely and manage remotely. But you probably have to work more on the basis of of achieving outcomes rather than activities. Mm. I love that. And and, and I also love the phrase Josh Burson uses about learning in the flow of work, Mm. right? So... So I think I would almost want to start from that perspective. So let's let's take the fact that you and I uh, might be parachuted into a company who's got lots of remote work and says, we heard this podcast, we'd love you to help us out. Then one of the first things we would do is we would say, well, let's get people to tell us when they learn, you know, and what the problem is that sparks the learning they need, right? Mm. So I think you're so right about us going non, um, I suppose, programmed yeah. and much more about those incidents and occurrences where there's a gap in capability, knowledge, or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's absolutely where we'd want to start. Then we can start thinking, how do we design those those opportunities into that? Uh, And so I think your your perspective on this is a a right one to say, how how can we use that as evidence to support the way we then provide solutions, connections, or, or advice, or guidance, or whatever it is? And, and and I jumped on a blog post by Neil Usher, who I think you know, um, at Work Essence, and who was talking about evidence in the property world. He was talking about it in the physical space of design, that we sometimes rely on a little bit ropey evidence and go, look, mm. let's jump on that and hype it up. And he rightly pointed out things like gut reaction as still part of that evidential trail. I've had to really check myself in because there's no way. I would find stimulating uh, or even beneficial trying to wade through some massive academic journal type report. Mm. It just doesn't chime with me. Somebody could do that and then create a, a Dan Pink type pop culture version of it. and I'm all over it. And I'm sort of thinking, well, why is that? It's about the consumer of the learning then being mm. in the mind of the person who takes dry and very difficult to understand uh, things and puts them across in a way that people go, oh, get this now, I'll apply it, right? L&D, I think, can do a terrific job in corporate for remote workers about that. Mm. Some of it, I think, could also come in the way that we communalize the learning conversations, right? Yeah. So I do want to talk about social platforms and things like Slack and Teams and all that kind of thing, because while I've been working with a band of remote workers, we've created a couple of channels on Slack where we just put useful stuff and nothing behind it. Um, uh, in a particular problem to solve, but in the mind is like, but I know that client is working on that type of issue, so I know it connects to something. 
So whilst it hasn't been a learning in the flow of work thing, it's been a, ooh, that might be useful for that context. Yeah. So even if you haven't got a problem, I think you've got a context. Yeah. If you've got a context, that makes more sense. If you haven't got either, it's just stuff. Yeah. So I, I can see how we could discipline people in the nicest possible way to think about problem to be solved and quick solution to that that, le- that people can learn from or contextually useful information that we bet, better let them be the judge of whether that's useful or not. I completely agree with you. And that, that has L&D relinquished control yeah. of having to be the creator yeah. or the curator. Yeah. You're empowering individuals mm. within, within their set context to share useful stuff. The curation comes with not just um, sending a, a link or an article, but yeah. saying why this is important yeah. to us and what we could be thinking about or doing as a mm. result. So, so an, an idea to engage remote workers a little bit more in the learning side of, uh, of an operation is to um, almost gift them the opportunity to be like a chief curator mm. so that they are eyes and ears out on stuff, host to some kind of platform and then message their colleagues and say, hey, I found this. We were talking about this the other day in our team meet. And then all of a sudden people go, oh, yeah, I forgot. They're the remote person, aren't they? But all of a sudden they become like dead useful mm. because they're creating those stimulating sort of posts and shares. So there's, there's a little bit of activism there, perhaps over-exaggerated, but only a tiny bit, just to remind people that's the case. But I think that builds reciprocation there. Yeah. And other people will then go, well, hey, they're out there, not connected to the conversation in here. I ought to do them a little summary note because they haven't had the chat I've just had with a cup of coffee with you know the person sat opposite me. So it sparks those thoughts in people's minds. And I think that's how we can learn about a more inclusive way of dealing with um, you know those little kind of events and, and, and things that happen in the real world to connect them to virtual. So social platforms do have a part to play, but what we shouldn't do is corrupt them then by chucking e-learning in there and no, everything else. You know what right, I mean? It just yeah. becomes cluttered. Yeah. Or, or, or um, tarnish or pollute. No, it's going to want to use the word pollute. Pollute yeah. the, uh, the use of those by saying that this is an either or, that we're using these and we're yeah. not using that. Yeah. You know, you've got to experiment to go yeah. where the energy is. Yeah. It's not about replacing face-to-face yeah. and, you know, there's nothing quite like seeing Completely. somebody and then connecting yeah. during other times. But... Um, Perry, I'm yeah. conscious that uh, that we've had a lot of agreement so yeah. far in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Your enthusiasm and your dreaminess <laughs> have led to le- led to a great deal of sunshine, and I want to bring in a darker cloud mm. um, because you and I, Perry, although we work remotely, we have a huge stake in our own organisation. Mm. So there's something mm. about uh, autonomy mm. uh, and our ability to choose our work and go where mm. our energy is, but not everybody's no. the same. So. Are there things that we'd need to concede that remote workers can't be developed for? Mm. For example, can a remote worker who is permanently um, uh, remote be prepared for senior leadership positions Mm. or do we need to concede that they can't? So I think we probably need to think, you know, what does the leader need to do? And often that that leader does need to be in the thick of Mm. stuff, which might mean locality based things, which is why people still have to go and live in Singapore to go and work in Singapore, else they would remotely lead it. So so it's a slightly bizarre um, twist, I suppose, on this whole conversation that, yeah, by nature of that, we would find it difficult to justify that. And we would find it difficult to say, hey, you know, you can remotely lead a team i think you still can but i guess what we need to think about is what is different about what people would need and i suspect and so i'm being sort of brutally sort of honest about this that remote workers are going to have to show up double big Mm. in how they could lead from that detached standpoint the whole proximity and i call it centrifugal force that a leader creates 
is really difficult to do if you are not physically around your people. Mm. Can you imagine Jurgen Klopp doing it all from football manager? The fact that he's there in the dressing room eyeballing people and yeah. sparking them into action, the physical thing, I think, does create a chemical reaction in people that I don't think you can replicate on Skype. Mm. So, so yeah, I, I would say that's a real frontier to, to cross. But I would not obsess about that just yet. I'd want to get more of the regular everyday, helpful, performance-enhancing stuff right, when we get that right, I think we can crack that leadership nut a little bit more avidly. But um, I don't want to dismiss anybody's uh, propensity to lead by saying if you're remote, you won't. But I think you've got to be prepared to rev really high in order to even get a chance at it. And can we compensate that from within L&D? Not sure we can. Mm. I'm not sure we even would know where to start on that one. So I'd say let's deal with the critical issue, which I think is how do we make sure that those remote people feel connected, belonging and part of our learning culture, our whole ethos for how we want to develop people. Um, and, and then let's start building the momentum up towards what would then be a more mature proposition for leading in a remote sense. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to give an overly rosy view on that one. I think that is a tough gig. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that... Um to build on that as well, uh, and and, may, and maybe um, to take it in a, in a slightly different direction, it's we might concede ground in that area, but I still don't see that it absolves us of the responsibility to adapt our offering. We can't just say we've got classes running. Come if you can make them. Look, we've got a schedule for the next twelve months. So see see if you can come, and if you can't come, we've always we already got a suite of e learning. We we can't. Just no. do that. No, I think, I mean, that, that quite literally feels like you would, you would sort of, uh, I don't know, insult the learner a little bit by yeah. doing that. So I think we need to say to people, if you're remote and you want to get into a leadership position, then let's have the conversation about that ambition. Let's look at the capability and let's look at the barriers that you're facing by virtue of that choice. Yeah. Now, if we can create something unique, then great. But it would feel like it would, it would probably distract L&D's core function of providing as much as it could for the the, the vast majority of people that would feel a bit indulgent. Mm. So I, I suspect that wouldn't happen. But 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 there's nothing to stop people who are all in a remote situation and all share the same design trying to work stuff out themselves. Yeah. So um, again, I think it comes back to that if people want it passionately enough, they'll find a way to make it work and shouldn't expect to hijack L&D by saying, no, look after me because everybody else can stuff it. Mm. Um, uh, but I think that is such a complicated area. So I think we can provide some leadership like insight, but I think the experiences of being in the thick of crisis situations and all that kind of stuff might mean remote is, um, is perhaps something that has to be let go of a bit. And there's a bit more of, a, of an equation to balance out by their presence in a physical sense as well as anything else. They can learn a lot of the theory about it, but applying it, I feel they, you know, they got to kind of be in the in the zone. So, um, yeah, it's a tough one, um, and and I, I suspect there are um, dispersed organisations who have a lot to share about this, but equally they're quite egalitarian in the way they work anyway. Mm. So, so leadership is a team sport there, yeah, and that's probably how they've architected it. So. So if we're talking about traditional leadership roles, that feels like a big old shoehorn in that's really difficult. Yeah. Realise that we're coming to the end of our Ooh. time, uh, Perry. But mm. um, but just to finish off, um, we're going to have a lot of our colleagues and peers from learning and development who have 
been in established roles, probably long established organisations. Remote working isn't new to them, but they're finding themselves in a situation where it's got a tipping point. There are more and more people remote working and there might even be conversations about extending that beyond. And L&D have got to take a long, hard look at themselves and the offering to ensure that they're both relevant and effective. What would you recommend to our colleagues and peers they should be doing in order to, to make sure that they're, they're relevant and effective and perhaps those first few steps? So great. I think it's contextual, isn't it, to start off with? So it's like how much of this is uh, happening now but also then I think look in a five-year time span and think, but what's that going to look like in five years? So if you don't know your business strategy on estates and, and locations and stuff like that, you've got to know that. So mm-hmm. so look ahead to that, right? And I think that's the first port of, of, of call where you can then start thinking, how much attention do I need to spend on this and in what way? So I think do that first. Then my suspicion is there are people out there who have remote working experience And it's then a case of, well, let's get to know that world more and Mm. talk to those people and invite them in and share their learning experiences. So, you know, if I was one of those, they'd have 20 years worth of how I've done it to unpack and and look at. And then I think they need to look at the signs of how do we capture what they've learned so that we know we are reporting on the learning activity and where people are developing themselves more accurately. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure they can help us design more inclusive methods and, and, and actually say to them, you know, what are the problems you need to face? What are the roles you want to uh, consider yourself for and start thinking about learning pathways for people that are remote and looking at those that are like oof, real tough gigs yeah. versus that could still work. So let's look at how we might need to get you there. Um, and then I think you're building up an intelligence source. So coming back to your point about data, I think that's what you do. You would get a massive narrative and then I guess you'd say sort of um, learning related uh, data to then start thinking, right, what can we do with this? How can this reshape our strategy? So so I would suggest to any learning professional reading this, if you've got a learning strategy that kind of sets out your intent in it, you ought to have some really strong things that say, and we recognise remote working, we recognise flexible work patterns, and we are accommodating our offer to incorporate that and da-da-da-da. So I think symbolise it really strongly by saying like, you know, we're not looking at this as fringe. We're looking at this as an important distinction, but that's related to the whole offer. Mm. And then I think, look at your products and go, is there a different way we could do it? So if that makes sense, I think there's kind of four or five steps to that. But I think the first thing is know your business's intent on remote if you don't know what it is now. Then I think it's a case of researching from those people who've done it. Then I think symbolise it and then Mm. review your products. Wonderful. Perry, that was a hugely enjoyable conversation. I think it would be hugely valuable at the same time. So Perry, how can people follow you or get in contact with you? So I'm on Twitter at Perry Timms. Uh, just celebrated my 10th anniversary on Twitter, actually. LinkedIn, similar to you. Um, I've got some YouTube content as well that people can uh, jump onto. Uh, but yeah, I'm not that difficult to find. So I pop up at most conferences and stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I can be quite easily accessed. Wonderful. Perry, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, David. Loved it. I think you'll agree that was a great conversation. A lot of energy, as well as a lot of practical tips. As mentioned there, Perry's worked and supported remote workers. And I think that with our experience of learning and development, there were some real nuggets in there and perhaps some practical steps that you can take and that could be helpful for you. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, which you'll find links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.